Well, good morning once again, Calvary Church family. We're so honored and encouraged to be with you from uh, here at Calvary to your living room and to your device. My name is Matt Doan, one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I'm joined by my good friend, fellow pastor here at Calvary Church, Tim Nellis. And we are honored to look into God's word together. Last week, we took a pause from the book of Hebrews as Eric led us through a much needed encouragement to Sabbath. This week, though, we'll jump back into the book of Hebrews. So please grab your Bibles and turn with us to Hebrews chapter 9. It's right before you get to the book of James. It's right after the T books and this little tiny book called Philemon in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to begin with verse 11. So turn there right now. Grab your Bible real quick or on your other device. Look it up. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we'll be sitting here this morning. So we're going to read through uh, just the passage we're going through today. We're going to start in verse 11. So here we go. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as a high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment... So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Wow. So 
like all of our passages so far in the book of Hebrews, there is a ton that's loaded into this chapter 9. And Tim and I were thinking there was a lot of different sermons that we could give today, but we wanted to land on this idea of blood, particularly the blood of Jesus. In fact, the word blood is mentioned, according to my count, 11 times in this passage. So it feels like an appropriate topic to talk about. And before we even just dive into chapter 9, do you have any random blood stories that come to mind when I mention the word blood? Well, I have a few, but um, I, I get taken back to when I was five years old. I'm a little missionary kid. Imagine little Timmy Nellis walking down this airstrip. My best friend, Danny Trulene, his dad Danny Trulene. Danny Trulene. He was a, his dad was a pilot, and so we lived right along this airstrip. So Timmy and Danny are walking down this airstrip chasing lizards, poking around at hills, and there are these little cactus fruits that were there, and we'd always try to find them and get them. And we loved each other. We were best buds. And we just thought, we need to cement this. We need to make this, like, lifelong. And so I remember we wandered to one of those cactuses, one in particular <laughs> that had given us many bloody fingers, and we purposefully poked our thumbs into the cactus and got a little blood. I remember we pressed our thumbs together and we just like at that moment, we're like, we are blood brothers, <laughs> brothers for life. So uh, I don't suggest doing this. It was extremely unsanitary. Yeah, maybe, maybe during COVID, not the best thing to yeah, do. But not yeah. the best. But it, I just remember it being like this moment for us. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think of, well, you know, the Red Cross. And one of the slogans of the Red Cross is give blood, give life, which on a side note is a really important thing to do during this season as there is a blood shortage uh, here, even in our region. But a couple years ago here at Calvary, we hosted a blood drive. I just want to be real with you. Um, I did not want to give blood, even though we were hosting it. And I was actually in charge from the Calvary side uh, in partnership with the Red Cross. And so throughout the day, I just kind of tried to make myself look busy uh, and get nowhere near the actual table to give blood. Again, I endorse giving blood. You should do it. I didn't want to. And uh, finally, at the end of the day, I thought we were wrapped up. I thought like you got away with it, it was over. I had succeeded in, in not being poked. And then the sweet uh, little woman from the Red Cross said, okay, Pastor Matt, it's your turn now. And so I tried to act tough outwardly, inwardly. I was freaking out and I got laid down on that table, gave blood. It wasn't that bad. But then uh, as I moved to get up, uh, we were actually in the lobby here at Calvary Church. The entire lobby began spinning around me and I didn't quite pass out. But it, whatever that stage is before you pass out, that's where I was at. And they ended up feeding me a lot of cookies. So that was the moral of the story. Um, that's what I think about uh, instantly when it comes to giving blood. Well, I know that this is kind of like a weird universal thing is that we've all had blood stories. So we right. actually want to give you a chance real quick to just take one minute and share a story with the person sitting next to you about a, a situation where you had where blood was involved. So... I know it might seem kind of weird, but I think there's some fun and yeah. kind of like interesting stuff. So take a minute right now and share a story. Go for it. We'll have a timer here.
Okay, I know that was not nearly enough time to probably share your story or stories or even remember a story, but hopefully it primes the pump. Did you see what uh, I did there? Uh, into did there. our topic today about blood. Uh, but we have to admit, uh, when it comes to Jesus' blood, if you've been a Christian for a while, it, it kind of makes sense. Like we've seen, and we're going to see actually in a few moments, uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, and for Christians, it kinda, yeah, that, that, it's beautiful. But think about if you were just dropped into a church, no context of the good news of Jesus, and you were singing a song about the blood. It just sounds weird. Some skeptics would say, well, is, is your God just a bloodthirsty deity? And so how do you answer that question? What's the deal with blood and the Bible, Tim? Well, that's a loaded question. Yeah. There's a lot to it. But I, I just think about like our culture where everything is so sterile. We rarely see blood. There's a lot of people out there that if you just get a glance of blood, you get woozy and they're like ready to go down. But back in ancient cultures, blood was a super everyday piece of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you wanted to have chicken for dinner, there was all usually blood involved in the process. If you, they also believed that like blood was the, 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 what gave a human being life mm-hmm. and the loss of it would mean they were losing life. They also thought that impurities uh, within someone, a sickness could be bled out. Um, they also thought that if there was evil in a person, sometimes that, that they could bleed it out. And then you have the sacrificial system of the Hebrew you know, life, and it was filled with blood. And I think we're going to kind of unpack a little bit about why, and it's really a fascinating kind of process, but um, I have some random facts about blood. I thought they were just fun. Okay, so every human has between 9 and 11 pints of blood, Uh and every day, this is crazy, your blood travels an average of 12,000 miles inside of your body. Wow. That's like the distance from here to Johannesburg, South Africa, (laughs) is like a long way. And then if you add up the length of all of our veins and capillaries and veins, it equals over 60,000 miles of actual area, which is the same as twice around the earth. Right. So like blood is obviously this really important part to our anatomy, but it's also a hugely important part to our spirituality, Mm -hmm. as we'll talk about here. Right. So in other words, you know, we go to Costco, we pick up our meat, there's no blood, it's all sanitized. But in this culture, blood was everywhere. And so it wasn't out of the ordinary to talk about blood. But as as you're saying, the blood of Jesus has such particular significance. And the author of Hebrews is reminding these first century Christians of this significance. Look at verse 12 here. It says, and it's not through the blood of goats and calves. Now, This sentence is referring back, and a lot of Hebrews is like a hyperlink back to the Old Testament. So it's referring back to Numbers and Deuteronomy and the Exodus story. And particularly here in Hebrews 9, it's referencing back to Leviticus chapter 16. In fact, if you even are a type of person that can write in your Bible, write Leviticus 16 here in this Hebrews 9 passage. It's it's basically a page from Leviticus 16 inserted here into Hebrews 9, where you had the Old Testament priest who on the Day of Atonement 
would enter into the Holy of Holies to cover the sins of the people. And he would do so with the blood of goats and calves. As a reminder, though, that he was defiled. And even we sang a few minutes ago, he was entering into the holy ground of the presence of God. And so Leviticus 16 walks through some very specific things that the high priest was to do on this day of atonement. In fact, there was nine distinct steps. I found this online. StretchTheology.com uh, is helpful for this. First, the high priest on, before the Day of Atonement had to prepare. He would seven days before this day enter into the temple. He would leave his family, go into the sanctuary, and he would live there day and night for seven days. He would practice the rituals of what would happen on that particular day of atonement. So he'd wake up the morning on that day and he would, he would take a bath he would change into priestly clothes that were just for that day. And then he would select a bull, a ram, two goats, and a ram. Again, this is according to Leviticus 16. Then he would offer uh, the ram for the sins of him and his family. Again, the, the priest isn't perfect. He's defiled. He's sinful. He's going into the presence of a holy God. Leviticus 16, God reminds Moses of Aaron's two sons who died because they weren't prepared to enter into the presence of God properly. And so here we have the high priest very aware that as he enters in his place, he could be struck down if he's not reverent and set apart. And so he enters a ram for his sin. And then he sets aside uh, two lambs. One is to deal with the sins of the people. One is a scapegoat, which we'll mention in a minute. So you can see, I don't know if you can see this on your screen, but kills a lamb, uh, prepares it, uh, prepares its blood. And then he takes the blood of this goat lamb and cleanses the altar. And then the next step is he cleanses um, the burnt offering altar as well. These were very specific steps. Leviticus 16 says, do this seven times in this place and, and do it with this hand. It's, it's very specific. And then the sixth step was the scapegoat ritual, which we don't have time to talk all in detail about today, but it is so rich. It's this idea that they would choose one of the goats and the priest would place his hands on the goat and would basically place the sins, metaphorically, of the entire nation of Israel on this goat, which they'd call the scapegoat. Then they would send that goat outside the tabernacle, outside the tent, and into the desert, as it was symbolically showing that the sins of the people were being sent out of the camp. And, and somehow in God's grace, he would honor that ritual. And then seven, the priest would wash again, and then he would enter back into this holy place, and he would again give burnt offerings to atone for the sins of him and the nation. And then there'd be this whole cleanup ceremony where they would take another bath and they would clean everything up. They would take the leftover parts of the animals. They would take them outside the tabernacle, outside the camp. And then as I read in one part, the, the entire group of priests and, and this area would go to the high priest's house and they'd have a big celebration that the day of atonement had been fulfilled, that God had honored what they had given him and he had forgiven their sins for that year. And that's what they did. Year after year, Hebrews reminds us. And it's kind of like this trash can. 
And let's see if you can follow me with this. During COVID, uh, there was a week where I forgot to put out our trash cans. I mean, I don't know, what day is it, right? Like I just forgot. And so our trash sat in those cans for an entire week, week and a half, two weeks. And one of our particular trash cans just started smelling so terribly. So finally, the day of the trash came. I remember this time, trash truck took it, brought the cans back into kind of our driveway where we keep them. But one of the cans just reeked. It smelled so bad. And so uh, being the lazy man that I am, I just got some 409 um, spray and I just opened the lid and I just went, (laughs) thinking that like that spray would just kind of cover over this distinct putrid that was in the can. And? Instead, it just basically smelled like 409 and then stink. (laughs) It didn't help at all. It just made it even worse. That is kind of what the Day of Atonement was, is that all it could do was cover over the stink of the people. And God, in his grace, decided to accept it. But it didn't truly cleanse the people. Hebrews 9 says it cleansed the outside, but it didn't cleanse the heart, didn't cleanse the conscience. And so it just covered it up. Here Jesus comes and Hebrews 9 reminds us that Jesus didn't come just to cover up sin. Jesus came to cleanse us of our sins because he was the lamb that was without blemish. Look at the rest of verse 12 here of Hebrews 9. And it's not through the blood of goats and calves, the ritual of the priest, but it's through his own, talking about Jesus, his own blood, he entered the holy place once And for all, Jesus has cleansed sin. And there's some pretty incredible accomplishments due to that, right? Yeah, if you look at verse 15, it goes straight into it. It says, for this reason, because he cleansed sin, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Mm -hmm. See, Jesus came and he says, God, what do you require? And then he looked at humans and says, what do you have to offer? Mm. And then he realized that there is this gap between what God requires and what he has to offer. And so he starts a new covenant. He mediates it. And so I just think sometimes you don't appreciate what is new until you experience what's old. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like electricity. Like, we'll never fully appreciate electricity. Right. Maybe like if you have a rolling blackout and it goes out at two this, o'clock today. Yeah, this week. Yeah. yeah, like you might appreciate it for a section, but imagine never having electricity yeah. and then having it, things are changed. And that's kind of like what the old and new covenant, I don't think that we fully appreciate the difference between the old and new covenant because we've never lived under the old covenant. And after hearing you describe it, I'm kind of glad. Yeah. Like if we were priests, we'd have to like quarantine for a week before we like start the whole process. Super intense. Super intense. And so there's some things I think that were actually really good for people because of the old covenant, because it reminded them of certain truths that I think we often forget. And I was just thinking about like this yearly process. Every single year, you know that you're going to have to go find an animal, an innocent, pure, beautiful animal. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to take it with you. And I'm sure it's going to like, you're going to see it and you're going to hear it. And it has no clue what's happening, right? It didn't do anything. And you know that it's going to, at some point, like later that day, it's going to be killed for your sin. 
And I think there's this process of year after year after year of going through this old covenant where people started to realize this super significant truth that sin brings death. Sin brings death. Every year, my sin is going to bring death. And it creates this different approach to sin because I think we forget that sin brings death. It started in the garden when God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. And he gave this, right, this amazing vehicle through the atonement process to avoid like us having to like take the full like penalty for sin and it could be covered, like you said, slightly for a time by an animal's blood. But then you would have to like, imagine if you, your little lamb that, that you just saw slaughtered for you, like fluffy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Lambert, right. <laughs> like if it happens and then you have this, like, wow, I need to change. I need to change some things because I think the next thing that these people realize is that the sacrifice requires repentance. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they start to plead, God, would you have mercy on me? I love this process, understanding my sin brings death. I need this moment where I recognize the sacrifice needs me to change. And then God, would you have mercy on me? And so I want to do something real quick. I want you guys to let this sink in just for a second. I want you to out loud, and we're going to do it together. And I want you to take a little bit of ownership in the reality that your sin brings death and that it brings death to relationships. It brings death to purity. It brings death to what God wants for this world, to to his ways. And so on the count of three, I want everyone to say, my sin brings death. Okay, we're going to do it at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. My My sin sin brings brings death. I've been thinking about that um, like all week and I've noticed some of the things that I've done and I think about the death that it brings and it doesn't change. That aspect of the covenant never changed. Sin still brings death even with Jesus, Mm -hmm. but it ended with him being the one whose death it brought. So my sin and your sin, it brought Jesus's death and he willingly gave it. Where an animal doesn't know what it's doing, Jesus willingly gave it, and he entered into this moment, and then he writes a new covenant. He writes a new agreement, realizing that in order for God's requirements to be met and man's offerings are not good enough, I need to step in and meet God's requirement and then offer on behalf of human beings my life as the ultimate sacrifice And here's the beautiful thing that he's writing to these people in Hebrews. He's saying that the death of Jesus isn't just enough to forgive people who are currently alive, that it is actually retroactive. It is enough to bring forgiveness and clean and cleanse the conscience to everyone who has ever lived that was under the old sacrificial system. And it's simultaneously proactive where it applies to every sin that will be made after the sacrificial system. So Jesus's death is applied to everyone. And I think that when we think about this new covenant, it's so different 
the new covenant, right? It not only is retroactive, it's not only proactive, but it cleanses our consciences. We don't have to live with guilt. It offers forgiveness, not just atonement. It offers us peace and purpose. It allows us to become part of the family of God. It is this amazing covenant. But in order for this covenant to be realized, I think there's a little detail here that's pretty, I think, helpful. The word covenant in Greek can be interchanged with the word will, like someone's will and testament before they die. Mm. And if you look at here in verse 16, it says, for where a covenant or a will is, there must, uh, there must of necessity be death of the one who made it. For a will is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the men who made it lives. I used to work at this restaurant called Tale of the Whale. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's on Balboa Newport. Island, and like all these old people always went there for our early bird special. And I remember I'd see the same people day after day after day after day, and some of them would come in alone. And I, I was, I'm just like this poor kid who <laughs> I have no chance at money in my life, and I'm just thinking, maybe, like, maybe I'll make friends with one of these people, and like, they'll write me into their will. It's like this weird process, but then when you think about the reality of that, like if we became close enough friends in order for that to happen, that means I would have to lose them mm. as a friend in order for that will to take effect. Enacted, yeah. Yeah. And in the same way, you think about Jesus. What if Jesus had written the new covenant but had never allowed himself to die? Because mm. he didn't have to die. He would have lived forever. Mm. And he chose to sacrifice himself in order for the new covenant to start, in order for that will to be realized. And the fact that I am forgiven and you are forgiven and you can be forgiven and are forgiven and that we can have peace and hope and we can have this new chance to interact with God without all this process was started because Jesus willfully gave up himself to start this thing. Amen. And so it's this beautiful story where blood was once needed to sprinkle on everything. Like blood is still needed in order to offer forgiveness. But that blood offered by Jesus offers us a different process. Is Jesus' blood enough for all of us? Yeah, here's the thing. as Tim is saying, it's retroactive, it's proactive. So Jesus's blood is enough for the first century followers of Christ here in the book of Hebrews. And Jesus's blood is enough for you. It's enough for you and for me. And the book of Hebrews chapter nine continues with this. It's this kind of big philosophical idea that our eternal sins are against eternal and holy God. Therefore, our sin deserves an eternal punishment because we've violated an eternal and holy God. The only hope that we have is if an eternal being gives us eternal redemption from our eternal sins. That was the case for the first century believers here in the book of Hebrews. That's the case for us. Back to Hebrews 9.12 not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained, look at this word, eternal redemption. You can count on it. 
that this is the Jesus that you can follow and place your faith in. Today, he will give you eternal redemption. His blood is enough, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, Psalm 91 reminds us that Jesus is both a fortress and he is a loving mother bird with her loving wings covering over her baby chicks. He's a fortress in that he's holy and mighty and powerful. But he's like this loving mama bird who, who puts his wings over for protection. But the mama bird, when he, she places her wings over the, her little chicklets, receives the scorch of the heat, feels the pain of the outside elements. This is what Jesus has done by going to the cross. He was scorched to protect us, to cleanse us from our sins. And then Romans 9.28 says this, Jesus' blood sacrifice bears the sins of many, including your sin. The author uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians says it like this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Christ's riches are so abundant that they overflow to you and me right here in the month of August in the year 2020. What do you say about Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus and his blood to cover only, not just cover, but cleanse your sins? There was a missionary from India named Sundar, India named Sundar Singh and he was once asked what he found in Christianity that he didn't find in the Sikh religion of his upbringing. And he answered, Jesus. The person asking this question said, yeah, but, but what principle or concept in the religion really attracted you uh, to Christianity? And Sin replied again, what I have found is Jesus. And so our question for you this morning is, have you found Jesus? Yeah. And have you chosen to take him up on his offer of a new agreement between God and man? Because I was thinking about it like, if you haven't taken Jesus up on his new covenant, you are still bound by the old. Yeah. And this whole process of trying to cover up our sin, whether it be with a sacrifice, a sacrifice of money, of time, of good works, or whatever it is, it might like initially feel like it's working, but Overall, it's just going to end up smelling worse. Just covering your stink. <laughs> it's covering your stink. Yeah. And here Jesus says, I have come and I can cleanse you. And my sacrifice is for you. And I have chosen to give myself to enact my will to start it. And the thing that's beautiful is that Jesus didn't just die in order for the new way to start but then he rose again mm. and is alive and living and wants to engage and be with you and empower you and speak to you and love you and walk with you and just be in this relationship with you all under his new covenant. If you have never taken him up on this offer and if you've been covering your stink with whatever it is, I implore you, Jesus is waiting and he sees you and he wants to just allow every blessing that comes from knowing him and being under his ways to guard your heart. If you've never done that during communion, do it. 
I encourage you to just, as we take communion and we remember, right, like the, the, the body and the blood that was shed, take him up on his offer. Mm-hmm. Say, I'm tired of dealing with my own stuff in my own ways. I need you. Mm-hmm. I need you to bring me forgiveness, to cleanse my conscience, to give me a new way. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put my mm-hmm. faith in you. You are the one I lean upon now. And it will happen. Mm-hmm. Amen. So what a perfect time uh, to receive the elements of communion. So uh, be creative. I know you don't necessarily have grape juice and uh, uh, unleavened bread in your home, but grab whatever you can that will make this a worshipful experience for you. And let's participate in communion together, remembering symbolically that Jesus gave his body and shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So I'll give you a moment just to grab your elements your bread and your juice, and then I'll read us some scripture. Let me be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. And these are the words that we read from the Apostle Paul says, for I received from you the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread right now. In the same way, the scriptures say he took the cup also after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of Hebrews chapter 9. Thank you for the reminder of all the effort and work that the the first covenant took to keep uh, the sacrificial system, this day of atonement. God, thank you for, out of your great love for us while we were still sinners, still in our filth. God, you entered into our world. The Messiah lived the life that none of us could live, died a death that we deserved shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that that happened, that it is finished. And God, we just praise you for the resurrection, that you've overcome sin, that you've conquered death and that you will return as the conquering lion. And so God, until that day, may we be grateful, may we be worshipful, may we walk in the peace that we are forgiven. We pray this in the beautiful name of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Passing by the bright of Jesus It's nothing by the bright of Jesus Nothing by the bright of 